0: This is The Ignition Show. Hello everyone, welcome to or welcome back to our podcast. My name is Chris Jansen, host of The Ignition Show, where our aim is to create meaningful conversations with switched on people about things that matter, matter in the pursuit of your potential and igniting the flame within you to live your best and full life. If you're like me, I'm guessing you've had the experience of being online and engaging in something, whether it be an article, a video, a blog, whatever it might be, and from there you click on a related link, and then another link, and then another link, and suddenly you're in a very different place, and you have no idea how you got there, and you kick yourself for wasting time. But sometimes you follow the rabbit hole and end up somewhere fascinating that you didn't know existed, and it changes the way you see the world and what you want to experience. Recently, I had that experience. A rabbit hole of links that led me to Helena Clayton. Helena is a leadership development expert and pioneer in looking at love as a leadership competency and the uncomfortable nature of dealing with human emotions in the workplace. This is a conversation that's needed more and more in our modern world. A modern world of constant pressure, pace and relentless demands on the people to deliver the business results. Fundamentally. You can't extract emotions from people and expect them to excel at work. We are emotional creatures in emotional times, and the more leaders, the more you, learn to be comfortable, skillful, and aware of how emotions shape the performance and productivity of people, the more you will emerge as a leader people want to be associated with. We explore a variety of truths and insights from Helena's research, and I encourage you to use this conversation as a catalyst for your own growth and understanding of your emotions and your relationship with love. Enjoy the conversation. On today's show, we're speaking with Helena Clayton. Helena is a leader of leaders. In her practice as a leadership development consultant, Helena acts as coach, thinking partner, and critical friend for senior executives. While she brings a variety of research-backed approaches to her conversations and interventions, what she ultimately does is help leaders have greater positive influence by becoming more authentic versions of themselves. Her curiosity to explore what's going on beneath the surface has exposed the unfortunate reality that all too often businesses today are valuing efficiency at the expense of humanity. Helena, welcome to The Ignition Show.
1: Thanks, Chris. Great to be here.
0: Yeah, it's great to connect with you. Mm -hmm. You know, when I, when I visited your website recently and read some of your, your articles and your research on leading from love, I knew I needed to have you on the show. I find this the stand that you take on love as a core competency of leadership is is as provocative as it is fascinating. So we're going to get into that research, but first all, I want to like to set the baseline and just maybe frame up your perspective and understanding of leadership given your experience. You've been working in the leadership field for 20 plus years now. What would you say is the difference about leadership in our world today, and what's required of leaders today versus what it was 20 25 years ago?
1: Mm-hmm yeah great question um i think uh, there are a few things that come to mind um one i think is the need to see the bigger picture to look wider to look more horizontally um and understand that everything is interconnected so kind of anti-silo thinking and with that comes the need for more inclusive approaches to leadership so more more inclusive approaches i think i'll start with and That then requires leaders to be more agile, to develop and stretch and expand their bandwidth of leadership styles. You know, no longer is command and control appropriate in most organizations, um, but something much more situational and contextual. Um, But there are two really human aspects of leadership that I think have really um, made themselves, you know, very kind of front and center. One, I think, is something about radical self-care. Um, I see the pressure that people are under in organizations as um, relentless. And sometimes, I might even use the words brutal. It's, not, it's This isn't true of all organizations, but for many leaders it is, in my experience. So there's something about how can leaders really develop practices of self-care um, when there really is no space for them to do so. And then I think the fourth thing is that there's a, a real need, um, a deep, deep calling now for leaders to be more human, uh, for there to be a focus on human leadership when tasks and processes and technology is really ramping up in terms of its power and presence, then I think we need to say what's the most human we can be in our organizations to kind of counterbalance um yeah technology and tasks and processes so yes i think those four things
0: i I love that and i love your the way you even describe them as radical self-care when there's no space to do so which Mm. i think is a very accurate way of saying it and this deep calling for being more human Mm. um you know, that's your comment about you you've written about the fact that we've traded efficiency at the expense of humanity. When did we lose humanity at work? Or did we ever have it?
1: Yeah, nice question. Um so I'm wondering so so I first want to say I I wonder if we ever had it. But then I'm also thinking of some of the um uh the social organization set up by Unilever in the UK or the Cadbury Foundation. So there was a time when work also had a very kind of strong social connection, um, a kind of a benign um, paternalistic one for sure, but still there was a, a very human side to that. Um, but I'm not sure that the, the human um, was ever deeply at the heart of work. If we think back to, um, if we look at what management theory says about work, we go to the workings of Frederick Taylor and scientific management where pretty early on it was about how do we get people to work more faster, harder, more productively. Um, So the the idea of organisation as machine was there pretty early on. And I think it's back so yeah, it's a good it's a good question. I'm not sure it was ever there.
0: Yeah, I agree with you that certainly in our you know as far back as we can remember or recall in our 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 um, in the history of organizations, you go back to maybe I know the the, the Henry Ford assembly line mm-hmm. and getting people to stand there and just pump out widgets. Is that what's really drove the the first emphasis on efficiency and optimizing the system? And I think we have gotten to a point where there is that tipping point that we've crossed clearly, where in this modern world of constant change and constant pressure and increasing demands, you know, that's the number one theme that I've seen is globally, is in, in almost any business, is that the, 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 the universal red thread that goes across every business is the increasing rise of demands and the pressure that's putting on people in the modern world. And yes. combine that with... Advances in technology where we used to be able to leave work at home. And, and now of course it's in our handbag or our back pocket everywhere we go because of mobile devices. And that's only been around for 10 years. And so the, the while it seems like it's been around forever, the rapid rise of all these pressures and constant tethering to our work life really shines a spotlight on your, your, your two points there, radical self-care and a Mm deeply deep calling for more humanity. And, um, And what, are, what would you say are some of the, in your experience, when you look at this idea of humanity or being more human at work, what do people, maybe what are some of the, the misunderstandings? What are some of the misunderstandings or the common pitfalls that managers, leaders, people make when, they're, when they need to be more human and they're, they're not being as proficient as they could be in that, in that area? What do people get wrong and why is it so hard?
1: Well, I think we'll probably come onto this when we start to talk about love specifically, but but even with the more human side of um, people management or leadership, or even just between co-workers, I think uh, we people are pretty nervous about entering territory with another person that might be uh, emotional or messy or unknown territory or unfamiliar, because one of the most difficult Uh, conversations i often support people to have um is um what they might call difficult conversations and inevitably it's when there is emotion involved yes um either because uh there's there might be anger they might be afraid that somebody will get angry or that they'll cry um or get upset or um it's maybe their own emotion they're needing to manage in the situation it's usually that Um, so the human side of being human, that um, we are really um, very nervous of and often lack skill and confidence. Um, so, I think there's something about just being human in the workplace that is, uh, you know, feels like dangerous territory for many of us.
0: Well, I, I absolutely agree with you. As soon as you said um, the difficult conversation involving emotions, I was nodding with a big nod. Because it's the same thing that I I see as well is that that's that really gets to the nut of it. It really gets to the root of the 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 nervousness, the um yeah. being um unskillful at navigating mm-hmm. those emotions. And I guess it also makes me just wonder like again um you know there is a, this this adage, I don't know if it's out of date or if it's again ever been in in vogue, but this adage of of you know Check your emotions at the door. Uh, We're here to do business. Now, in your experience, has that been, to what extent is that a real thing? To what extent is that maybe an old paradigm that's still kicking around? Um, What's your view on the the idea of emotions in the business and how accepting people are of that?
1: Oh, that's such an interesting question. I definitely think it's a real thing. um, For sure. Uh, I don't feel that this, this won't be true of all organisations or all functions or all leaders, but in my experience it's true for most that um, your emotional life, um, your emotional landscape, uh, the, um, you, you, leave, you leave at the door. It's not welcome here, it's messy and gets in the way. So organisations are mostly run as if we are rational, logical beings. And we are so not. We are messy, irrational, emotional beings. Um, And so our emotions and uh, feelings um, are suppressed. Uh, And I can't help but think there's a huge cost to that. Mm. I think it's changing slightly. Uh, We are seeing a different landscape, a different conversation about feelings are welcome. Let's try and... Uh, bring a much more human connection in but uh, I think that's pretty new and when something is new we're naturally a little nervous about it or we, uh, we've we lost or forgotten or never have developed the skills to do that um, and also I think people are rather suspicious. Um, why does my employer, why do they want me now mm-hmm. to be to bring my feelings, to talk about how I feel, to bring all of me to work. So there's a, um, a suspicion, I think, sometimes that that's another form of um, trying to get more out of us. Yes. Um, that there's a kind of instrumental reason for um, asking us to bring all of ourselves to work.
0: Yeah, and as we were talking about um, just before we started this this conversation, you know, in this, again, the modern world of all the the pressure pot that we're in, is the, the the pressure and the pace that people are working at and in this need of constant or in this environment of constant change, it only makes sense. The logic is clear that people need to um, be more adaptive and think and bring more of themselves to it because they're not just pumping out widgets or, mm-hmm. or ticking boxes or operating a machine. And if organizations and certainly leaders deny the fact that people that they will get the the most out of their the business will perform the most, if people, if they get most out of people, and to get the most out of people, people need to bring them, bring them whole their whole selves to work. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're right, that is a it's a very messy thing. And I think in our, in our also in our cultures, you know, something a conversation I often have with my colleagues is that I think one of the biggest gaps we currently have and one of the gaps that absolutely needs to be filled is having what I might call emotional education,
1: uh-huh. even starting
0: off in the early days in their schooling system um, to really help people understand uh, what it, you know, why do we, why do we experience anxiety and fear and worries? And if you can learn that as a, let's even call it a, a, a teenager or a young adult to bring that um, awareness, that, that skill and that, you know, self, um, Self-management, I suppose, self self um, evaluation to to the workplace. I, I think that would change, change change a lot. What's your view on emotional education and the impact? That yeah,
1: can have- and I, I wonder if that will change um, as uh, a new generation comes into the workplace. I'm wondering what um, uh, the emotional competence is, if you like, of millennials or yeah. of Gen Z, and whether I mean I think that that their their character and their uh, demands of work are already changing how we work. So I wonder if there is I wonder what their role will be in shifting the emotional landscape in an organization. Mm. Um, I'd expect to see I'd expect to see that happen actually.
0: So mm. let's so let's let's get into some of the work that you've been doing in this area. And you, know, you mentioned earlier that you know, if we're going to um, if we're going to bring our whole selves, uh, we need to understand what is the most human, what mm-hmm. is the most human of us, and what's what's been your your um, you know, what's been your journey to understand what is the most human? How did you get to some of the research mm-hmm. you've been doing?
1: I think it started um, probably fifteen years ago when um, when I started to explore. Uh, the word spiritual, actually, which had no resonance or meaning for me at all. In fact, I rejected it. Um, so I took myself off to the Finthorn Foundation in the north of Scotland. And that took me on a journey through a lot of quite deep dive and radical and leading edge personal growth work, um, the Hoffman process, celebration of being, shadow work. And over the last 15 years, I've done quite a lot there. And what I saw time and time and time again, was that no matter what the situation, no matter what uh, difficulties people were suffering, no matter what kind of wounding they'd had, um, when love was brought to that situation, there was uh, growth, there was healing, uh, there was transformation. So that i came to understand as a, as a truth if you like and then in my working life um working in organizations in parallel what i was seeing was um and still do a lot of um uh psychological wounding if you like but what i see in organizations is regularly um stress and panic and fear and anxiety and a lot of confusion and I just started to think, oh hang on a sec, um, there's a lot of pain in organisations and surely the healing or the power of love, I think, is probably the easiest way to describe it. Surely there was scope to explore how love might be the strong medicine that uh, was that seemed to be needed in organisational life. So that's where it began. Um, mm. Love isn't present or, or vocally present. I'm not saying it's not there, but it's certainly not talked about in organizations or often enacted. So that's what got me curious. Yeah.
0: And so what do you mean? So you've um, you've given the title to your recent research of leading with love. What do you mm. mean just for for definition, I suppose? What do you mean by leading from love?
1: Um, um I i've played with this title you know leading with love uh, leading from love leadership and love um i think for me as we start to see the growth of uh organizations that have a new consciousness so b corps for example uh the body of organizations that are now starting to look at putting purpose before profit um how do we do good business um that also has a positive impact on the environment, on stakeholders, on the community that we operate in. Um, That's great at a macro perspective, but I wonder if um, leadership and an an individual leader can also take the same kind of holistic role. And for me, uh, love, even though I'm, kind of holding off, pinning down a definition for this research at the moment, is definitely about taking that more holistic, bigger, more integral picture. So there's something about leading with love um, that isn't, uh, leading from love, that isn't about um, bolting on um, uh, ways to be compassionate or empathic, although clearly that's very much part of the picture. But I think it's about helping people and leaders in this case really connect to a feeling of love so that they can act from that feeling. Yeah, I think that's the the best way for me to describe it today.
0: Okay, okay so um, so give us a, give us some of the headlines what has your what's emerged from the research that you've done?
1: Mm. well, um I asked people. Does love matter in the workplace? And if so, why? So if love were present, what could it offer? What could it bring? And the answers were really, really clear. So 90 something percent, 94% said, oh, it really matters. Uh, Interestingly, 5% of people said it didn't matter. And I would love to have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was clear, really, very clear that it it really does matter. Um, So that was crystal clear. people said that humans work best in a loving environment. It's a core human need. And if love was so important in life, which it is, why wouldn't it also be important in the workplace? Um, it felt like it would offer them safety, but also creativity. So there's a lovely quote, which is around you know, the the challenges we face as a human race require a connection to something deeper and real and in our hearts so that new responses can emerge. So people really felt it would um, be very generative for, for the world as well as business and for themselves. But the thing that um, interested me most in the research was that around 30%. So my second question um, was great, and how comfortable are you talking about love in hmm. work or in organizations? And um, many people were, but around 30% said they were not um and i think that's um low i think that the if the survey were bigger the number would be much much higher because the um nearly 80 or so people who completed the survey i think were fairly self-selecting so i think the number that the percentage would probably be a great deal higher so what's interesting to me is how important love is but how tricky or difficult or how problematic it is to engage with or talk about yeah
0: and so when you've asked those questions i know you've been purposely non-directional in defining love mm-hmm. how have others defined it or how do they interpret the question what what's the what's the what's the immediate perspective that people have when you ask the question about love yeah. in business
1: yeah well um interestingly when i first started talking about talking about thinking about research um, and said it was going to be about love um, I was really surprised by the number of people friends colleagues who kind of wrinkled their nose a little and said oh no you, you don't you don't mean love do you? you mean empathy or compassion and I said no actually I really want to hold fast to the word love so automatically in my experience and still this happens there's a, a desire to reduce it I think to break it down into its component parts, whereas I think there's something quite interesting for the moment in really holding on to um, uh, the the whole of the word. Um, So that's the first thing. I did pull out, though, from the research um, what people meant by love, and a cluster of words came through. So the one that came out most strongly was care. of deep care, listening, uh, really putting aside everything to give dedicated attention to people so they feel wholly seen and heard and got. Um, Empathy and compassion was another theme or a cluster. And um, being genuinely interested in all of who people are, so the, the wholeness, the warts and all aspects of us and then uh, the final theme was around something around setting high standards which also um, brings into the picture that love is about radical acceptance but it's also about a very strong no and holding boundaries um, and saying some version of that's not okay yeah, those are the the main kind of words that that came through.
0: And I know that also when you asked you know, the question, the second question about uh, how comfortable are you, or the mm-hmm. version of that, and, you know, when people start to describe it, what you've put in your rapport, that people describe it as, well, I'm uncomfortable because um, I would appear weak or flaky yeah. or unprofessional, or or it would undermine what I'm trying to achieve. And at the same time, people say that if there was more of it, it would be better more effective we produce more we get so there's this paradox going on and and where do you think those fears or weaknesses come from i mean if love is such a core human need why are we so afraid of it at work
1: yeah it's 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 a really interesting question and the one that is uppermost for me at the moment um it's it's a re- it is really interesting the, there's an actor um in the uk um long dead um Kenneth Williams and he says he said love is the most awful invasion of privacy so I think there is something uh quite clear for us that um love belongs over there and that doesn't mean in work and it does not belong here so there's a very clear distinction between what belongs in the private sphere of our lives and what belongs in the public sphere of our lives um, I think also there is when we talk about it at work um, w- what we also draw on is what our uh, what society teaches us love is which is usually romantic love um, mm-hmm. and of course that, definitely is problematic at work so I think we're a little we, we we kind of stop at romantic love and don't know where to go beyond that because just like you said earlier Chris around um, emotional education um, when we're younger and and older um, I don't feel that we are introduced to the Many different aspects of love that are available to us. Mm. Um, we tend to focus on on romantic love, and we tend not to, I don't know, draw on um, uh, Buddhist principles, for example, of metta, which is uh, loving kindness, or um, the Greek-stroke Christian agape, which is you know, kind of love for all. Um, so I think we're a bit—we have one hand, one arm tied up behind our backs when we're invited to think about love then as adults, because we're quite limited in what we've been taught about it. Does that make sense? Well, That's
0: a very, yeah, very—I think—a helpful distinction, and I agree that you know there tends to be, in this context, there tends to be more reference points to the idea in our cultures of romantic love. But and so that I yeah, that absolutely is a conflict—a conflict of an idea of how to bring that in into the workplace. But what about, what about some of the, I I don't know, even more practical um, or more practical examples of, you know, someone can say, I just came back from a holiday and I absolutely loved it. Mm -hmm. You know, I love Mm -hmm. this or let's order in some pizza. I love pizza (laughs) or I love my pet. None of that is romantic love. So we do have references. So I'm not not disagreeing with you, but we do have Mm -hmm. references to that. But suddenly when you talk about leading from love Mm
1: -hmm.
0: it trips us up and i think one of the things that that um when you ask what blocks you from leading with from love you know one of the points that you highlight is people you know express some version of i'm afraid to reveal my true self
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and my own
0: insecurities so i think which maybe people can relate to so my question would be let's talk a little bit about in your work uh, with leaders, and whether it's this direct, you know, conversation of love, or just broader context of being more authentic, how do you help someone both a reveal them more of their true self, but b be comfortable in doing that? If someone, if someone is a, is a situation where they kind of do put up a wall, but they know they need to, or they would they would benefit them and everyone else if they revealed more of their true selves. How do you help someone do that?
1: Mm, lovely question, and, and it, the, the, one of the, the places I'll go is that it is doable, so one of the things we know about um, trust, for example, is it's built up by, it, started, it starts when one person that takes the risk to be a little vulnerable and shares something with the other person, um, and the other person doesn't um, hurt them with it or reject them because of it, they accept it and they reveal something back in return. And that reciprocity builds. So one of the things um, I think is true is that human connection is built and strengthened when we get to know the other person as a full person. When we get to share our stories with each other, um, we can be much more compassionate towards somebody when we understand what they might have been through, what their life is like or was like when we can find commonalities um, uh, in our stories. So one of the things I'll often build into leadership programs are, um, uh, I wouldn't call them storytelling circles necessarily, but it's um, small group work where um, we might invite people to identify three or five things from their life way back from their earliest childhood maybe from the way they were parented, or from the way they were raised or schooled, um, that say something about uh, three or five things that have shaped them to become the person they are today. And I'll often model that by talking about um, some things from my life. Um, that are some, I'll give light examples but dark examples. I'll talk about uh, the suicide of my brother or my mother's alcoholism, but I'll also talk about um, a really inspiring boss. And if I model that for people, it gives them permission to talk about some things that are often deeply personal for them. And what I notice is that when uh, people, leaders, share that kind of information about themselves, a much deeper, much more loving, much more connected relationship starts to build. Um, so there are ways that people can very slowly and gently start to build a more connected and I think a more loving connection with each other.
0: Hmm. I, ab- I agree with you. The, uh, the conversation of what has shaped you, what are some of the experiences that have shaped you is a really, um, it's a very powerful question mm. and, uh, I've experienced that myself and some of the leadership development work I've done with, with groups, how quickly a group of strangers even if they're in the same company but maybe from different mm-hmm. areas they don't know each other at all how quickly a group of people can feel connected mm-hmm. and that just opens up a whole um, a whole set of honest honesty and um, authenticity in conversation I've done some work with, with groups where it's been fascinating where you have people sitting at um, you know typical kind of conference room tables as a group um, Versus you do the exact same program, say the exact same things, run the exact same exercises, versus having them sit in a circle with no tables. Right. And it's remarkable just that change. And I've had people literally say, "It's so nice to connect with people as as humans, not mm. as employees."
1: Mm. Very much so. Mm. Very much so. Um, and when we start to so uh, to, one of the things we often do, I mean, I do for sure is. Uh, Judge people on a particular behavior that they demonstrate one a behavior that I don't like or I don't think is okay in some way Um, And when I understand where that behavior might have originated Then almost inevitably I can find a a much more compassionate and a loving response to that Mm. Um, So yeah, I think that's all part of um, Connecting in a loving way
0: Hmm. You know, one of the things that um, I have recently been having conversations around is sometimes our our greatest lessons come from our most challenging times. Okay. And um, I'm curious, if I may ask, since you did reference it there, what you mentioned that your 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 alcoholism or your brother's suicide, what lessons did you take, or what did you learn? I may I ask from from your brother's um, taking his life?
1: yeah um well it's absolutely been the most defining moment of my life when if i'm a participant on a program people say look back and identify what shaped you it's the it's there is only one event really and it's that um so it taught me that uh, nothing is quite what it seems that even though the surface for somebody might look smooth uh there's often Uh, Usually, not often, usually, um, a lot more going on beneath the surface. And that um, many, many, many people are living lives of pain um, and struggle. And we know nothing about it. So uh, it taught me to be uh, gentler, I think, with people. Mm. That, yeah, we never really know what's going on on the inside.
0: Mm -hmm. you know you've referenced in some of your work um carl rogers and the Mm. attitude of unconditional positive regard Mm -hmm. can you just explain why that 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 idea resonates with you and maybe builds on what you just shared as well
1: yeah um so the um i mean carl rogers was a therapist from the humanistic tradition but Across all therapeutic modalities, um, love as a healing principle is is has always been there and is always there. But I think um, I think also one of the reasons that unconditional positive regard is so important for me is that I know how how hard I find it. Um, I there is a, a love. It's a whole school of thought that says love isn't uh you know it just doesn't happen. Love is a Conscious choice. You know, we have to be intentional uh, about it. Somebody described it as a collaborative piece of art. Um, we can choose to be loving. So for me, I know for well the parts of me that are really not very loving. The parts of me that are vindictive or mean or withholding or cold. Uh, I know the parts of me that are unloving. So in a way, something like unconditional positive regard as an idea. Um, Is really helpful for me to have in front of me as something to aspire to, um, and helps me be good in the world. Um, I think, yeah,
0: yeah, and for me as well that this the whether it's a belief or an understanding, and certainly a perspective that people are are inherently good and are trying to do their their best, and they are doing their best with the resources they have and the and the level of consciousness. And when Absolutely. you start to see people, even if they make choices or decisions that rub you the wrong way or irritate you or you you know just- annoy you in some ways, to recognize that people are doing their best right and and that's sometimes for some people that's a hard belief to wrap their head around. But when you do start to adopt that belief, it really does change your paradigm and it really does yeah. can transform the way that you interact with people, especially coming back full circle. In this pressure pressure pot environment that we're all working in, yeah. and seeing that uh, we're all trying to do our best, and sometimes in that pressure pot is that our human characteristics, what's maybe mm-hmm. have shaped us from early age and life experiences, are are what um, what emerges, mm-hmm. and um, and it really can bring more empathy or hyper empathy, as some people would describe it, uh, mm-hmm. empathy, compassion, willing willingness to listen, etc. Into the environment where you're trying to be productive and effective. Yeah. So, how do we find the right balance? As and I don't even know if that's the right way of looking at it, but mm-hmm. the balance of this humanity and caring and listening and operating from love, leading from love, with the need and expectation to deliver results. Yeah. How do you How do you help people balance? Find that balance. Yeah,
1: and you're right in you know in saying is it balance? <clears throat> um, is it integration who knows but but it it has to be both and i'm i totally accept the need for uh you know business growth or business results of course Um, but there has to be a way to do that while also being deeply human i regularly coach people who whose days are 10 one-hour back-to-back meetings and um I look at a schedule like that, a punishing, you know, day after day schedule, and think, wow, you know, where is the space for humanity there? Um, I was listening to a podcast by a a minister, a church minister, um, called John Mark Comer, and he said that, he says, a hurried person can't also be a loving person. Mm. Now, I don't know if that's an absolute truth but there's certainly something in that for me. Um, So there's something around working practices I think that have to come into play here. So in the UK we're exploring in a little way um, the idea of uh, a four-day working week for example, Um, the drive for more flexible working practices, um, shared parental leave, so there are definitely some policy uh, decisions that can be made at an organization level that can really help people find space to breathe, space to connect with the things they love doing, space to connect with family, all of which help. Um, But I also think it's about uh, working with individuals around, no, what would I say? I think it's helping them see there are alternatives. Because as a coach, when I work with somebody around, here, here's your day where you have ten meetings. Um, that's not okay. And then eventually get to what can you do about it? The answer is so often there's nothing I can do about it. Mm. Um, because that's how it feels. So I, I think there's something around um, helping people see that. Hmm. I think people see that there are other that there is choice, yes, and helping people connect with the the long term consequences to themselves and and their family and their lives of continuing to operate in those conditions. I think that's it's not quite the right phrase, but something like that.
0: Well, you're absolutely right. That uh, I, I appreciate the way you described it as in the example of ten hours of back to back meetings is. Um, is it feels like they can't do anything about it Mm -hmm. but i my experience i'm sure it's the same as yours when you just probe a little bit further Mm -hmm. very quickly people realize well i suppose i could do this or that Mm -hmm. but they get so trapped like the old boarding frog scenario they get they grow accustomed to how things have been they forget that they actually have a choice in the matter And sometimes just reminding people of that they have a choice, and they need to make a choice, and that that kind of leads to this idea that coming back to radical self care when -hmm. there's no space to do so. Yeah. So how do you how do you help people? How do you help leaders? Um. Or actually, before I ask the how to, (laughs) what kind of reaction do you typically get when you kick off that conversation? about radical self-care and this idea of having choices?
1: I think I see two responses typically. One is um, a light goes on in people's eyes because they really identify with a deep thirst for something other than ten hour, you know, ten meetings back to back. There's a real kind of acknowledgement a longing for something to be different. they sense the possibility of a homecoming coming home to themselves um, that is there and then very hard on the heels of that response I think I see a lockdown which is and I can't do anything to change mm. or it's going to be too hard and I don't want to have the difficult conversation and then of course the conversation in coaching begins but those are the two things I think a big yes and then mm. a Ah, but
0: that's not going to be possible for me. Mm. And so, how, you know, well, I my experience has been um, when it is that situation. Sometimes what people need to see or or realize is that a radical self care doesn't necessarily mean radical change. No,
1: that's
0: right. It actually right. often starts with just one simple, small call exactly. it a baby step or kickstart yes. or one basic yes. thing that they can do. And again, people have to be in a pretty, pretty dark place to really push back and say, there's absolutely nothing I can do. Yeah. So what, where do you find is the most helpful starting point or, you know, if someone's listening to this and they're, they're needing some radical self-care, what question would you pose to people? How do you get people started?
1: Well, one of the things I'll do is, is try and, um, build in small examples of that into the work i do so uh day before yesterday i had a coaching client and we we walked um we went into the countryside um not far from where we were based and had a beautiful walk in the glorious sunshine in nature and um that was he didn't need to build anything into his day um he could do this. He could do his coaching session with me, but uh, in a in a much more self caring way. Um, but I think the, the simplest things I'll often do actually is, and this work is coming up more and more, I think, in people development in organisations, is the work that helps people move from inner critic to inner coach. Mm-hmm. So to identify. Um, The very um, critical voice that many of us have in our heads that says um, I'm not getting this right, I'm not good enough, Um, I'm not that bright, Um, uh, I've got that wrong, I've messed up. Um, Helping people to tune into that voice um, and convert or change or, or shift that voice to a more nurturing, loving, affirmative, encouraging voice. Um, I'm finding that is probably where I start these days. I don't know if that lands with your experience.
0: Yeah, no, it definitely does. It's, uh, I always say that the words we use matter. Yeah. And I think that the most important words we ever speak are the words we use about our to ourselves, about mm. ourselves. Yeah. And, uh, by changing that narrative, and um, as you describe it as a more nurturing, loving, mm-hmm. affirmative, encouraging, empowering uh, voice is is always the starting point when people are finding themselves in a really tough spot. Yeah. And there's always ways. There's always ways. And I, 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 it never ceases to amaze me how quickly people who are stuck and have not been taking care of themselves... Um, How quickly they can identify something that they could be doing differently It takes no extra time, no extra effort. It's just doing what they're already doing in a different way or a different sequence or just not doing something that they've been they've been telling themselves they're trapped into doing.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And. That, uh, you know, something that's portable, that you can, they can take along with them while they're doing their 10 back-to-back meetings, should they still choose to have them. But um, that's right. It's, there's no point at all in adding more into the mix. Um, It's either taking away or or bringing, bringing something that is entirely portable along. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I think that's also links to the idea of leading with love, that Mm. this idea of of love and as some people have described as care listening or empathy compassion whatever it may be but but your i like your 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 steadfastness in in keeping it all encompassing with love is in back to the question of of balance is that it it probably is just a little a little extra that five percent extra of being more intentional more conscious more present in how they communicate or interact with people, and and um, and what I also found fascinating in your research was when people have identified that they had been felt like or sensed or just knew that they were being led by love, um, in, in they were in their dealing with other leaders or other people in the organization. Um, the impact that that had was very clear and quite profound.:
1: Yes, it was. Um, what was marked was that uh, very few people said they had, but when but those who did said they absolutely knew it, it felt materially different. Um, and i I can totally believe that. I interviewed before I did the survey, I interviewed six. Uh, senior leaders who could identify with leading from love and could um, pretty much say they led with some love at least they could have a conversation with it and my the sense of um, now what's the word Uh, certainly I would want to work for them (laughs) they were very compelling uh, very open very honest Uh, but there was a sense of uh, fierce protection, you know. There's something about deep, deep protection of their people. Um, uh, very, but also fierce in that they were not afraid to um, give very direct or honest feedback, mm. um, to speak with candor. Um, well, and, and it, one... sorry, just
0: you. I, I love also mm. what you were saying is is um, to people's fears of of either expressing or leading from love that it would feel mm. it would be counterproductive to results and all this kind of th- stuff is that when people have been led by love they they talk about how how much that engendered loyalty and how they felt they were they were working more on collective goals they felt they could be yeah. the best themselves and want to go that extra mile able to push themselves more and any leader would want that out of their
1: people absolutely right and it definitely doesn't come from Uh, being softer, although it might for some, it is also softness for sure in lots of ways, but balanced by very clear boundaries. Um, And one of the CEOs I spoke to said, he he uses the phrase, I love you so much, I don't care what you think of me, Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is a really provocative phrase, but there's something around, I will tell you what I think you need to hear. And if, uh, if you don't like me for it or worse, then I can handle that. So, so it's a very it's a very robust form of leadership, I think.
0: And as you said, it also it shows up in tough conversations and holding mm-hmm. people to account. Part of those boundaries, mm-hmm. and um, it certainly make, can make tough conversations easier if you come or if you have an element of combination of everything we've talked about: this unconditional positive regard, this yeah. genuine intention to help someone grow or help someone improve, or to be able to. Uh, Embrace the emotion the messiness of human emotions that might come up in a tough conversation
1: mm-hmm.
0: but but people feel it when the other person is coming from a genuine place of wanting to help even if it is a tough conversation or holding people to account or raising the standards of what expectation is the irony I think the irony of ironies is that the the skeptic says that that's not you know it's not necessary to bring an aspect of love or compassion to it you've just got to tell people. Tell people it's straight. But when you do bring compassion or love to it, it mm-hmm. it accelerates progress. It, it makes mm-hmm. people more open to have a real conversation. It gets down to the root of the matter more effectively. And it enables people to bring more of themselves in a way that actually drives performance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I suppose I suppose it's maybe one of those things that people, if people are skeptical or unsure or just uncomfortable with it all maybe you can you can tell them all the you know you can give them all the stats and the facts and the anecdotes but until they experience it maybe they they don't really they don't really get it would you agree with that or or do you think that there is ways to convince the skeptics before they try it
1: that is an interesting question because uh where it's taken me is to a, a kind of a therapeutic field i guess which is the theory and i'm no therapist, so I'm I'm maybe on slightly dodgy ground here, but uh, that, that something around our relationship with love as an adult is directly related to our relationship with love as a child. You know where where we uh, had love or where we were lacking love. So yes, I don't know what a therapist would say in response to that. It's a great question, mm. but I think when we uh, when we What's the phrase? When we see it, we can be it. Um, I think when we've had really solid loving leadership model to us, when we've seen it and when we've experienced it, I I would be pretty sure that would help us step up into the role of loving leader when we needed to. Yes. Mm. Yes. Mm. But I also I do think it can be learned. Um I have to think that right I work in leadership development which is about you know growth and change but I it's a core belief I have that um, that we can develop in these ways I know for myself through um, a a lot of hard work that I have shifted in my way of being with people and with the people I work with and my clients Um, for the for the better I hope but um, and through intentional practice so I I absolutely think we can, we can learn this.
0: So where would someone begin? If someone's listening to this conversation, is intrigued in some way to maybe um, modify or develop in their own leadership, whether they're a, 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 an official leader in an organization, or they just want to be a greater leader in the community, or maybe even at home, where, where can someone begin? In bringing more love or leading more from love.
1: Mm. No big question. I think it's about. It has to start with self. I think Um, so. Mm -hmm. I sometimes say to people, um, and this phrase is a bit jargony. Start an inquiry um, with yourself into love. You know, explore, spend some time thinking, journaling, talking with. friends and confidants, think about um, your own relationship with love. Um, how, where did love show up for us as a child? What did love look like or feel like? Uh, who has modelled love for me as as I've grown up or in my life now? What do I think love is? Um, and uh, the other thing that often comes up for me when I talk, about love with people is, and and I think folks are quite right on this, is that, you know, the phrase love is an inside job. Um, Love for others um, will come from um, having love for yourself and the extent to which you can have a robust or fierce love for yourself. So I think start with with exploring your own relationship with love, Um, yeah.
0: And how would someone experiment with acts of love
1: Mm. There's um, there's a lovely phrase that says there is no love, only proofs of love. So this is very much love as a verb, um, which I think has a lot, a lot to to commend it. Um, so what is the point, arguably, of feeling loving if I don't do loving things um, for people? So. Again, it's a great piece of personal practice or um, personal inquiry to find tiny moments in your day when you have a choice point. Do I respond in a way that is more loving or do I respond in a way that is less loving? And this is absolutely where I think we can trust ourselves to know what loving looks Mm. like in practice. we know in our hearts when we're doing something that isn't yes. as loving as it could be, and we know when we're, you know, when we step towards it. So I might um, invite people to um, not quite set up a challenge, but to at least a couple of times a day uh, notice what would it what would it be like to um, uh, say something or do something that was a little more loving than they might have done yesterday.
0: It brings to my mind the the thought of uh, the adage of a uh, random acts of kindness, right? And it's maybe yeah. an elevation of that to say random yeah. acts of love. Yeah. And I think again in the business context for those who are listening to this and and work in environment, I, I think I think there's some some solid ground there as a as a starting point or just uh, just embracing this mm-hmm. and um, that random acts of love. Again, it's not a romantic love, but if you truly mm-hmm. truly cared for your people, for mm-hmm. your customers or clients, you know um, your organization, the purpose that this, this organization has and truly connect or uh, embrace the humanity that's required in business. Mm-hmm. I think both uh, Helena and, and, and myself, our experiences would, would say that the impact that it has is immediate and lasting mm-hmm. yes through these small acts
1: yes i think that's absolutely right and i've noticed where i am least loving interestingly is not in my work it's in my relationship with my husband and i can absolutely notice that in those micro moments when i might choose to say something that is less kind um when i when i can find it in me to um Hold back on something that's got a note of criticism in it, for example, that sets the climate, the culture, the mood um, for the next few moments, which then builds into the climate or mood between us for the next hour, the next day. So I've noticed that really, really markedly. Um, so yes, I think that's really true, Chris.
0: Yeah, it's like the um, one droplet in the uh, in the water can have a ripple effect. Right. For sure. Right. Yeah. So before I ask the final question, where, where can people learn more about your work or your research mm-hmm. and get in touch with you?
1: Mm. Well, um, I, on my sort of regular corporate uh, websites, I have a separate page called, um, uh, leading from love. So I tend to, um, that will be the landing page, I guess. So that's, um, helenaclayton.co.uk and i also put blogs um, about uh, aspects of love um, onto the blog page so that might be the first place to go Um, i may well be brewing a book but that's that'll take a while yet in the meantime i'll probably post on linkedin and onto my website um, what i'm researching and thinking about and writing about I'd start there, I think.
0: Wonderful. Well, we'll include all those, uh, those links in the show notes for this as well. So right. my final question, quite simply, is what do you hope to ignite in the world?
1: Mm. Yeah. Well, um, ultimately, it's, it's more love, right? But um, in my daily practice and in my work, if we can just start more conversations about love, Just have more people talking like we've been talking. I think that's a great first step.
0: Wonderful. Well, there's no doubt the world will only benefit from more love, um, (laughs) especially in the climate that we're often living in these days. So I appreciate your work. I appreciate you taking the lead in helping leaders lead more with love and more, more from love. Um, so thank you very much for your time. Uh, Helen and I really loved our conversation and uh, we'll stay in touch.
1: Wonderful. Thank you, Chris.
0: That was Helena Clayton, an expert in leadership development and pioneer in leading from love. You can find all the links in our show notes. You know, we don't want you to get the most of the time you've invested listening here. The show is only valuable if you apply what you learned and most learning is generated from reflection so we'd love to hear from you and your reflections about what you learned or found interesting. Join the community and go to theignitionshow.com connect. That's theignitionshow.com connect. And let us know what struck you and what it was you heard today that you really needed to hear today. You can leave us an audio message or join our Facebook group and participate in the conversation there, where we'd love to hear your comments and follow-up questions. Also, be sure to check out the after show of this episode. That is a shorter follow-up episode where we, as my wife and business partner Sarah and I, talk about what we learned from this interview and how these ideas have shown up in our lives on a more personal level. As always, if you like what you hear, subscribe, rate the show, or leave a review in iTunes. It helps others find us and helps us get better. We read every single review and comment that comes through iTunes, Facebook, and our website and respond to as many people as we can. And lastly, remember, whatever you dream of, Whatever you hope for and secretly wish you had. You're closer than you think you are, you're meant to have it, and you absolutely deserve it. Until next time, I'm Chris Jansen, and this is The Ignition Show.